Hello, and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. You know what? I thought I was not going to remember it, but it came out of me like so organically. Like riding a bike. Guys, we're back. We're back. You thought we weren't going to be back, but I we're back. I think some back. of you were afraid we weren't going to come back. We didn't. We didn't go anywhere. We, didn't. <laughs> <laughs> we just all needed a little summer break. Yeah. Julia has a baby. It was hot. I was also busy, right? I had things to do. We were. We had a busy summer. We did have a very busy like, summer. Even though we're all kind of back to... Being extra cautious about things, yes. um, t- maybe toward the beginning of the summer, we were able to to go see some people. Oh, my social calendar filled up so yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, you were hard to get a hold of. I was hard to get a hold of. So many people were like, "Let's get a drink, girl," and I was like, "Yes, yes. bitch, let's do this." Mm-hmm. And then, and then that's I how was, she talks in real life. Guys. Yeah, this is my I, this professional is her podcast voice. voice. <laughs> Uh, it's amazing I have any friends, to be yeah, honest. So this is this is a good good way to launch into this because I yeah. think people like learning about us and what oh, we're yeah. up to. Uh, what did you do on your summer vacation, Lauren? Besides what? drink wine on my porch. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did do a lot of drinking wine on your porch. Um, I worked quite a bit. I curated two shows. What else did I do? Um, we had some friends visit and stay at our house. We redid two bedrooms in our house. Oh, um, we had some bats uh, taken care of in the attic and then not. So, taken care of. Yeah, they weren't taken care of. It was ridiculous. But um, we grew a garden. We have more tomatoes. By the way, I got to bring you some tomatoes. Yeah, you do. We have so many goddamn Do you have any tomatoes. zucchini? No, we didn't grow any zucchini. You know what? I keep seeing internet people where they're like, I have 7,000 zucchini for my garden. Who wants one? But none of them live in Rochester. I'm like, where's all the zucchini? All these garden people. Here's the thing. I hate zucchini. So we didn't grow any zucchini. It's so watery. But you know what you can do with it? Turn it into cake. Yeah, I know. But like, then I could just, why do I need zucchini to make cake? Because then it's a lot. Then it's a way to trick yourself into thinking that you're eating vegetables. (laughs) All right, all right, I'll give you that. That's that's understandable. But yeah, we had a garden. It looks really great. Got a lot of tomatoes. Been cooking with the tomatoes. Yeah, it's been good. What about Super. you? How about what have you been doing? Uh, we went to Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. We went to Cape Cod. Yeah, we you traveled a lot. Went to Seneca Lake. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we might have bought a house. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Congratulations! Uh, you know, you never really know until you yeah close. until the ink is so, dry. Yeah, um, yeah. We might have bought a house, mm-hmm. and um, I spend the summer, uh, the nerd that I am, take paying money to take a class in which I would later take a test mm-hmm. um, to be to earn my WSET level two awards in wine. And now so, she knows a lot about wine, even I, more than before. Geography, mm-hmm. uh, flavor serving terminology Incredible. how wine is grown what you need how you prune things amazing oh, it was a really great it was actually i really liked it oh and also we did taste things in the class so I, yeah over the eight week um course i got to taste like 45 different wines <laughs> which is the dream to be honest but you uh also impressed your instructor with your very creative uh tasting notes i think impressed is uh, used loosely. Well, I should um, say I was impressed yes. when you told me about yeah, it. Yeah, like our first class, like 
not a lot of people were chatting and mm-hmm. you know i was you know i'll talk whatever and um so we're we're sipping this wine and she goes okay does anybody like what does it remind you of like what are some smells mm-hmm. and you know then we get to the point where we, where we did taste descriptors too and we got to the taste descriptor and i went this tastes like i'm eating an old fruit roll up in a barn see now that is genius because I know exactly what that tastes like. And I didn't even taste that wine. I, I know ex- my imagination is like, ah, yes. I know fruity. You're getting woody. dried fruit. Yes. You're getting wood. You're yep. getting hay. You're mm-hmm. getting like, there's been, there's been a lengthy process involved in this. Yes. Yeah. Barniness. So these are not official descriptors through WSET, but I think she knew what I was talking about. Yeah, I think so too. I think she was just she was just jealous that she didn't come up with uh, this is like eating an old fruit roll. She up in probably a barn. like made a note in my like <laughs> file. <laughs> Watch out for this one. Yeah. So um, so another thing that we are both involved with is that we are both teaching this semester. Yes. Yes. It, yes. Uh, like we said, we had a we had a fun busy summer. Yes. And it turns out we are going to have a busy fall. Yeah. Um. I did not use the word fun. (laughs) Nope. But it might be. Who knows? Yeah. Anyway, I'm teaching this fall. Lauren is teaching this fall. Yep. So uh, we are, we have a pretty full like docket. So we've decided that season two of the podcast, which of which this is the first first episode. Yep. um, Is going to be every other week. Yes. We will be bi-weekly for the foreseeable future. So it will be, you know, this way we keep our energy up. Mm -hmm. Um, We're able to to bring you the level of podcast quality to yes. which you've become accustomed. <laughs> you know, super high. <laughs> yeah, this is to everybody except the guy that said we smack our lips too loud when we talk. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> he doesn't listen to this he podcast. He doesn't listen to this podcast. He really doesn't. Um, or maybe it was a girl. No, it was a dude. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, so, uh, and also because I'll be teaching art history and Julie will be teaching archives. Guess what, guys? Get ready for a lot of art history and archives related material. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of really interesting things yes. that we haven't talked about yet. Absolutely. That the, the timing just will work out. I think so too. Yeah. You know, I'm going to apply what I quickly learn a week before the class to this podcast mm-hmm. so it's killing two birds with one stone for all intents and purposes so get ready for that everybody um yeah i'm teaching uh intro uh to western art history uh ancient to medieval so that's what i'm doing <laughs> i got a bunch of freshmen at rit they're eager to please they're just they're cute as a button and i can't wait it's gonna be fun that's fun terrific. we'll see that's terrific yeah um, and in other podcast news, as Lauren mentioned, we had some friends come and visit us, and that included the inimitable Neil Fisher of Triviality and, and his, his wonderful partner, Colleen. amazing partner Colleen. Yes. So here's the deal. Yes, we've decided something. We've decided that we are going to trade a microphone and a bag of hockey pucks to Triviality for Neil. Yes. So Team Misinformation has drafted Neil E. Fisher for this season. Thank you very much, everybody. Yes, yes. Congratulations. You have 24 hours to respond. And if we if you don't respond within 24 hours of the drop of this episode, then he's Ken, ours. Neil. Ken, oh, no. <laughs> Ken, Matt, Jeff, you have 24 hours you to respond. You have 24 hours to respond. Yes. And you know what? They don't, they don't listen, listen to this podcast. podcast. <laughs> so Neil will know. <laughs> But the guys won't. So yeah, so, those of you who who love both of us, um, you can um, don't tip 
don't tip the other boys off yeah don't tell the deadline because we want neil so yeah don't say anything um but yeah so we're very excited to have neil on misinformation he's an official miss in for information absolutely we don't know what his job will be maybe he'll just be like our hype man in the background like what or like that's so interesting he's the best or maybe we can just because he lives in chicago we'll just get like a soundboard with him saying things like that's so interesting (laughs) and laughing you know so we can have like a little bit of a laugh track going i love this let's do it it'll be great all right is that everything we were going to talk about we're glad to be back guys thanks so much for for being patient with us and and waiting and being excited we got so many likes on that tweet couldn't believe it like oh man like oh maybe they do like us yeah Oh, you know what, though? What? I'm going to point out, so sometimes I get, like, the charts information. Oh, sure, yeah. We're, like, the number three podcast in Mauritius. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's an island nation. Yeah. Also, we're, like, really high up the charts in Saudi Arabia, too. Oh, you know what? There's a lot of money there. So if you are listening in Saudi Arabia and you are a rich oil baron, send some cash our way. We work at museums, my friend. Just say Or if you have some museum jobs there. Oh, yeah. We know plenty of people who are looking for museum jobs. Yes, we and do. would yeah. be happy to come fill one of those. Absolutely. At your private Yeah, gallery. Museum. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I've never been, but I've seen it on TV, and it seems plush, <laughs> to say the very <laughs> least. But. Oh, okay. You want to It's talk? your episode. Yeah, yeah, it's my episode. Tell um, me what you're going to talk to me about. <laughs> Now, when I first came up with this idea, I was like, this is great. I can't wait to talk about this topic. And then I was like, when I describe it, though, it's not going to sound very exciting. Okay. So I'm just going to launch into it. I'm going to talk to you about Margaret Knight, the inventor. So Margaret Eloise Knight, she was a prolific American inventor of machines and mechanisms for a variety of industrial and everyday purposes. Margaret was nicknamed Maddie, M-A-T-T-I-E. She lived with her widowed mother and older brothers, Charlie and Jim, in a little house in York, Maine. She was born in 1838, by the way. So after her father passed away, Maddie had inherited his toolbox, and she liked to think of things that could be made with these tools, and she drew them in a little notebook that she labeled My Inventions. Maddie demonstrated a knack for tools and invention from an early age, making toys, kites, sleds, and household items. And as a little girl, she preferred to play with woodworking tools instead of dolls, saying that, quote, the only things she wanted were a jackknife, a gimlet, and pieces of wood. She knew what she wanted. Good for her. So when she was 11, Maddie's family moved to Manchester, New Hampshire to work in the textile mills there. And so Maddie was going to continue going to school, only going so far as to complete her elementary school education. And she got to know the head engineer there while wandering around the grounds after school, waiting for her family to be done with their like 14 to 18 hour shifts sure. at the textile mills. Yeah. Uh, including like her 12 year old brother and her 14 year old. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, so at age 12, she started working in the mill herself and a loom malfunctioned and injured a worker. Uh, so it turns out that one of the leading causes of serious injuries at the mill that she had observed was the propensity of the steel tipped flying shuttles. So those were manipulated by workers to unite the weft and the warp threads in their weaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so these shuttles would come free of their looms and they would like shoot off 
the machines at oh like God. high velocity even at like the slightest employee error so like oh there were people dying from this there were people like you know oh it's basically God. like you're getting almost shot like yeah, by basically. a steel tipped metal thing like flying off of a machine at you know, so it was really dangerous. And so Maddie, what she did is she created a guard that would stop the shuttle from coming off of the machine if it malfunctioned. Oh, so like the exact details of this device have kind of been lost to history. Um, mm. But mentions of it came out throughout published stories of her work and her um, mentions in articles that we'll get into. Mm. So again, because this was the mid 19th century and why would anybody yeah, <laughs> document right. what they actually did? Um, anyway, so there were workmen who installed these types of guards on all the looms and all the mills in Manchester. So this wow. was like a big deal. She clearly didn't make any money for it, but sure, you know, maybe save some lives. So after she turned 18, Maddie left Manchester for better opportunities. Uh, she worked in several different factories around New England, along with other short-term technical jobs so that she could keep learning. Um, this included working on home repairs, upholstery, daguerreotypes, and photography too. Oh, wow. After the Civil War, she eventually joined the Columbia Paper Bag Company in Springfield, Massachusetts. So paper bags at the time were either fairly narrow and flimsy when they were made by a machine. These were called V-shaped bags, or they were flat-bottomed and made by hand. Mm -hmm. But the bags didn't stand upright, and you know, when grocers would try to fill them with groceries, yeah. um, they would kind of have to use one hand to keep the bag open and fill them with customers and bulky items would split the bags open. Sure. So yeah. making the bags by hand was super inefficient and actually introduced a lot of errors too. So mm -hmm. for years, men had tried to design a machine that could create flat-bottomed paper bags inexpensively. So Maddie Knight did what these men couldn't. She invented a new machine that would automatically fold and glue paper bags to create square bottoms. Uh, oh. She conceived of the idea for her paper bag machine maker in 1867 and spent months working out the design. She built a wooden prototype of her paper bag making invention and tested it, but she needed an iron one to apply for the patent. Oh. So in 1869, she traveled to Boston to supervise the manufacturing of her final prototype. And while she was in the machine shop, another inventor named Charles F. Annan saw her prototype and how it worked and quickly created his own device <gasps> and then patented it. Get so out. Even though at the time it was a common belief that women didn't know much about machines and how they worked, uh, Knight didn't lay down and allow Annan to get away with Good. stealing her invention. So instead, she fought back with a patent interference lawsuit. During the lawsuit, Annan and his lawyer claimed that women didn't have adequate knowledge about machines to be able to create such a sophisticated device. Oh my God, give me a break. Fortunately for Knight, she had her own documentation and those yep. who were involved with her at various stages, so clerks at the machine shops with whom she'd yeah. worked, they all testified on her behalf. And one article described the scene as, quote, she handed Annan a humiliating courtroom drubbing. Nice. And in 1870, the dispute was settled in her favor and she received her right patent in 1871 Good. because like they were asking Annan questions and he, they were like tell us how does this work and mm -hmm. he would say like well you put the paper in and it turns and it into a it. bag why do I you yeah. wouldn't understand yeah exactly like he didn't know what he was talking about and but like had managed to basically replicate her machine just by looking at it even though he had no idea how it yeah. worked anyway no problem our girl gets her patent Great. So that same year, along with the businessman, Knight founded Eastern Paper Bag Company in Hartford, Connecticut. And once again, she faced gender discrimination. The workers at the factory where the bags were to be made refused to take instructions from her on how to install the machine but, but, because they believed that women didn't understand machinery. Cool. Mm-hmm. 
So in the December 2nd, 1872 issue of Woman's Journal, the magazine wrote, quote, Miss Knight of Boston has invented a machine for making paper bags and is having a number of them manufactured at Chicopee under her own supervision. The workmen employed were at first skeptical as to her mechanical ability, but she cured them of this by going daily and working among them, detecting mistakes and improving plans with a keener eye than any man in the works. Nice. Yes. So this invention had such a global impact because it was instantly used worldwide. And Knight Mm -hmm. was supposedly honored by Queen Victoria, though I could not confirm this. Like, I keep seeing this pop up in her biography, and I can't find, like, any proof. But, like, Mm -hmm. the fact that somebody made up a rumor that, like, Mm -hmm. this was so cool that Queen Victoria even gave her, like, an honor. Also, Eve, like, you know, that's a fun fun rumor to get started. Also, like, it's definitely possible. What was Queen Victoria doing? She wrote horses. What was she she doing? She didn't have a husband anymore. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not that, you know. I like that paper bag machine. Yeah. So, basically, her invention revolutionized the paper bag industry. It replaced the work of 30 people with one machine. So the scaled down but fully functional patent model of her groundbreaking machine, um, which is technically an an update of her original design, which was patented in 1879, it's housed at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. It's an impressive assembly of gold-colored metal gears, springs, and other parts mounted on a deep brown hardwood frame. And this efficient bag-folding device, whose full-scale cousins soared into international use in the years following her efforts, offers silent, majestic testimony to the power of women to achieve in mechanics and engineering. Oh, right. That's beautiful. So she later received patents for a dress and skirt shield in 1883, a clasp for robes in 1884, a barbecue spit in 1885, right. a window frame and sash in 1894. And later still, she received six patents over a span of years for machines used in the manufacturing of shoes. Oh. So others, some others of Knight's inventions included a numbering machine and a window frame and sash that were in 1894. Again, several devices relating to rotary engines between 1902 and 1915. And she also made improvements to internal combustion engines. Oh, wow. So she was getting into everything. So in the Sunday, October 19th, 1913 issue of the New York Times, Knight headlined an article titled, Women Who Are Inventors. Miss Margaret Knight is now at work on her 89th invention. Other women who have shown inventive genius. So I'm going to read a snippet of the article here for everybody. A well-known physician whose achievements and writings have placed him among the best American medical authorities has been devoting time to the study of women as inventors. In a recent interview, he gave a few ideas upon the subject, which raised a storm of protest from the women inventors of the day. The interview grants that women excel in the most beautiful and effective qualities of genius for building civilization. Women have achieved in literature, but the encyclopedia fails to record the names of women painters, composers, or inventors, except Mm. in significant numbers. The test of history has shown that women have failed to produce works of genius or have made any important discoveries to place themselves at the head of professions practically their own, the famous chefs, modistes, and dressmakers being men." All of this may be true, but it must be remembered that woman, attuned to maternity, has been pretty busy in that line for all the ages she has been assisting in the civilization of the world, while time and opportunity have been denied her to demonstrate her abilities along the creative and inventive line. Men have had the field to themselves so far. The germ cell accredited to them, which gives them the capacity to seize opportunity and make the most of it, has steadily developed, while women have been forced by circumstances to bide their time. Mm. The time has come now, however, when men must look to their laurels. 
Girls, for the modern field is full of women inventors. You can tell a woman wrote this. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they don't have bylines in the 1913 (laughs) issue of the New York Times. But so the article goes on to list about a dozen more women and their current works, along with the list of items invented and patented by women who never received the credit due to them. Mm. So Margaret Knight died on October 12th, 1914 at age 76, and she was honored in obituaries of her day as the woman Edison. It read, quote, for 25 years, she has spent nearly 19 hours out of the 24 in her laboratory and here developed a motor and many engine devices. In all, she had 97 inventions patented, many of which are used in a practical way. Miss Knight's work was hampered many times by lawsuits, but she never contested a patent without receiving the award. Mm. So she was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2006. And (laughs) I would argue this is this is bigger, more important into the paper industry International Hall (gasps) of Fame. What? That's incredible. Uh, A plaque recognizing her as the first woman awarded a U.S. patent and holder of 87 U.S. patents hangs on the Curry Cottage at 287 Hollis Street in Framingham, Massachusetts. However, Margaret Knight was not actually the first woman to receive a patent. That was either Mary Keyes, who Mm. patented for a new technique of weaving straw with silk and thread to make hats in 1809, or Hannah Slater, who applied for a patent in 1793 for, quote, a new method of producing sewing thread from cotton. Um, So there's a little dispute whether who was actually first, but Mm -hmm. it was likely one of them. Um, But... Any bag that can stand upright on its own is based on Margaret's design. Wow. So SOS bags, also, that stands for self-opening sacks, um, they're found everywhere. Grocery stores, restaurants, department stores, clothing stores, and on thousands of prepackaged items. And yeah. they all still use Margaret's basic concept. That's amazing. Isn't that nice? Oh, I didn't know anything about that. So I read a children's book called Marvelous Maddie, How <laughs> Margaret E. Knight Became an Inventor by Emily Arnold McCulley from 2006. It's very cute. It's illustrated and mm-hmm. it like tells her story really nicely. And then um, Smithsonian Magazine in March 2019 published an article called Meet the Female Inventor Behind Mass Market Paper Bags by Ryan Smith. So I definitely recommend those. And then cool. I had fun going back through like the New York Times article oh, that's so and much like fun. the women's uh, journal article. It was mm-hmm. like just fun to see how, how people are portrayed. And so I'm glad that like she kept inventing. Yeah. She didn't like just wasn't just like resigned to a life of like, well, I guess I just work in a mill now. Or, yeah, exactly. Oh, I guess I just work in a factory. Like mm-hmm. she was like, well, I'm still going to use my brain. She invented some things. Yeah. She made sure she got the she credit got for them. Yep. Mm-hmm. She That's founded amazing. her own company. Incredible. She knew better than the dudes working for her. Clearly. Yeah. So that was amazing. Margaret Knight. Yay. That was so good. I never knew anything about her. That's so cool. So our quiz is called Mothers of Inventions. Mm. This is a quiz on women inventors and their incredible inventions. Great. Question one. Which Austrian-American actress pioneered the technology that would one day form the basis of modern-day Wi-Fi and Bluetooth communication systems? She used her brilliant brain box during World War II to create a communication system that hopped around the frequencies of radio waves. Question 2. Stephanie Qualick worked as an American chemist at the DuPont Company for more than 40 years and is known for inventing a family of synthetic fibers of exceptional strength and stiffness, formerly called polyparaphenylene terephthalamide. Its applications range from bicycle tires and racing sails to bulletproof vests, thanks to its high tensile strength to weight ratio, making it five times stronger than steel. What is the trade name under which her polymer is produced? 
question three. Don't let this one cause you any pain. A black woman who made her living as a housekeeper and later a clerk in the census office in Washington, D.C., Ellen F. Eglin, invented which of the following in the 1880s? A, a clothes ringer, B, the ballpoint pen, or C, the safety elevator? Question four. You may recognize Ruth Handler's name as the creator of the Barbie doll and the president of Mattel, Inc., but in 1976, as a result of a serious medical diagnosis and procedure, she also invented a line of what? Question five. In 1903, Mary Elizabeth Anderson was awarded a patent for her window cleaning device, which is technically still in use today. What was Anderson's invention? Question six. Betty Nesmith Graham worked as an executive secretary and also an artist in Texas. In 1956, she had gotten so much attention from coworkers who wanted to borrow her home-brewed office product that she eventually began her own company. What's the commercial name of this product, which has been a lifesaver for many people who write only in ink? Question seven. Maria Telkes worked on energy technologies and was a prolific inventor of practical thermal devices during the 20th century. With what renewable energy source is Telkes most associated? Question 8. Marie Van Britten Brown, a black nurse and innovator who lived in Queens, New York, was married to an electrician. Inspired by their non-standard working schedules and rising neighborhood crime rates, Brown patented the forerunner to what in 1966? Question nine. They say necessity is the mother of all inventions. Marion Donovan designed a product called the Boater, made of nylon parachute cloth, for which she sold the rights for $1 million in 1951. What sort of invention was this? And finally, question 10. In 2020, the National Inventors Hall of Fame welcomed inductees Lisa Lindell, theater costume designer Polly Smith, and her assistant Hinda Schreiber. These three women co-developed What Revolutionary Garment in 1977, which has enabled women's participation in athletic endeavors. I'll give you some time to think, and then we'll be back with your answers. lot of these are going to be absolutely pure guesses. Great. 
Also, you know what? It's been a whole summer where I haven't really done any trivia, oh my God, so right. I'm rusty. Yeah, is it? It's kind of funny. Like people, ask, like people at work will ask me, like, "Oh yeah, like where do you go to trivia now?" And I'm like, "We, no don't, we don't go anywhere to trivia right now." No. <laughs> well, we shut everything down yeah, in town. It's, we're just so good at it. Uh, it's, <laughs> that's true. Not we went in and shut everybody down, but no, like no. we kept like. We kept winning at places, and then they'd be like, eh, this is our last week to drink at this place. And then I bet they, you know what it was? Now that I'm thinking about it, it just occurred to me now. I bet they were like, just let's today, we've all agreed. Like before we showed up, they were like, we're going to say it's the last one so they won't come worry. back. <laughs> <laughs> so our quiz. Yeah, lay Mothers of Inventions. Question one. Which Austrian-American actress pioneered the technology that would one day form the basis of modern-day Wi-Fi and Bluetooth communication systems? She used her brilliant brain box during World War II to create a communication system that hopped around the frequencies of radio waves. Uh, that's Hedy Lamar. It is Hedy Lamar. She's amazing. She is. So she's such a badass. So uh, her real name is Hedwig Eva Maria Kiesler. And though she and composer inventor George Antile developed a radio guidance system for allied torpedoes that used a code stored on punched paper tape to synchronize random frequencies. It was referred to as frequency hopping between a receiver and a transmitter and were awarded a patent for it. They never saw any money for their invention. Mm. So this frequency hopping technology forms the basis of Wi-Fi, GPS, and Bluetooth. By the way, side quiz. What does Wi-Fi stand for? Um, Wireless FICO. (laughs) Wrong. Nothing. (laughs) Wi-Fi stands for nothing. That's just the name of the term. It was catchier than IEEE 802.11b direct sequence, Mm, which would be really hard to remember to ask for that password every time you're at a coffee shop. Yeah, that's true. Do you have your IEEE? Can I have the IEEE 802.11b direct sequence password? Password, please. Yeah. Um, How about where the name Bluetooth came from? Oh, um, I do know this. Mm -hmm. It's a... He was a um, like a king or like a something, and his uh, name means blue tooth because he used to eat a lot of blueberries. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's named for the 11th century Danish king, Harald Bluetooth, mm-hmm. who united the disparate Danish tribes into one single kingdom. So Bluetooth implies uniting communication protocols, and the language for it is a bind rune merging mm-hmm. Hagal, which is kind of like an asterisk, and Bjarkin, which is kind of like a very triangular B that mm-hmm. are his initials. Yeah, and that's what the that's rune really looks cool. like. I, I know, that's that. super cool. All right, question two. Stephanie Qualick worked as a chemist at the DuPont Company for more than 40 years and is known for inventing a family of synthetic fibers of exceptional strength and stiffness, formerly called polyparaphenylene terephthalamide. Yes. Nice job. Uh, what's the trade name under which her polymer is produced? Okay, I, I'm i I'm torn between two things, so I'm going to stick... Okay. Is it polyester? No. Okay, my second one was nylon. Okay, so its applications range from bicycle tires and racing sails to bulletproof vests, thanks oh, to its geez. high tensile strength to weight ratio, making it five times stronger than steel. So is it Tyvek? Or what's it called? Oh, shoot. It's a... Um, um, what are bulletproof vests made I know, of? I'm trying to think. It's not Tyvek, because that's the thing you wrap your... Your, your collections your in. Collections in. Yeah. <laughs> um, God. Does it start with a T? No. Oh, shit. Then I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's K. 
Kevlar. Kevlar. Oh, you idiot. So Qualic invented it in the mid-1960s, but she wasn't very involved in developing its practical application. So there was like an entire other group at DuPont assigned to that. Mm. So Kevlar is used in a material in more than 200 applications. So oh, not wow, just bulletproof vests, but tennis rackets, skis, parachute lines, boats, airplanes, ropes, cables, tires, firefighter boots, hockey sticks, cut-resistant gloves, and armored cars. It has also been used for protective building materials like bomb-proof materials, hurricane safe rooms, and bridge reinforcements. So her discovery generated several billion dollars of revenue for DuPont being her employer at the time, but she never benefited directly from it. That's a shame. Of course. Question three. Don't let this one cause you any pain. A black woman who made her living as a housekeeper and later a clerk in the census office in Washington, D.C., Ellen F. Eglin, invented which of the following in the 1880s? A, a clothes ringer, B, the ballpoint pen, or C, the safety elevator? Um, I'm going to say... The clothes ringer? It is a clothes ringer. So in the very first issue of The Woman Inventor in 1891, Eglin is introduced and the brief article text reads, quote, she sold the invention to an agent for the sum of $18 in 1888. The ringer is a great financial success to the present owner. When asked by this writer why she sold the invention so cheap after giving months of study to it, she replied, you know I am black and if it was known that a black woman patented the invention, white ladies would not buy the ringer. I was afraid to be known because of my color in having it introduced into the market and that's the only reason that's terrible isn't it terrible and you know what now that i'm thinking about it i remember being in an art gallery and there was an exhibit on like black artists and i think there was a a woman artist who made a piece that was based on like the clothes ringer and her invention and why she sold it for so cheaply and that i think it was like because it was like a freestanding clothes ringer made of like ceramic or something like that it was really beautiful so yeah it's important to remember these people and their names and their contributions and like this was a big deal at the time and like it again it went on to make a lot of money for someone who wasn't her Mm -hmm. question four you may recognize ruth handler's name as the inventor of the barbie doll and the president of mattel but in 1976 as a result of a serious medical diagnosis and procedure she also invented a line of what serious medical procedure i'm gonna say like uh, underwear because <laughs> I'm thinking like breast cancer or is it bras you're is in the it? you're in the ballpark she's grabbing her, I'm her, grabbing my chest. Her shirt yes mm-hmm. <laughs> um is it like you know the little chicken cutlet thingies like the inserts the thing yeah oops. what would you call that if you were like a medical professional oh other than uh, a chicken prosthetic cutlet? <laughs> <laughs> yes okay. Ruth Handler invented a line of breast Protheses. Mm. So after having a mastectomy, she founded Ruthton Corp in 1976 to produce prosthetic breasts for women who had undergone mastectomies. The nearly knee line of prosthetic breasts were made of liquid silicone encased in polyurethane with foam backing. Eight middle-aged women, most of whom are breast cancer survivors, made up her sales team. Wow. So Handler instructed her team on how to fit women and train department stores sales staff. Mm. And Handler herself even stepped up to fit women for their breast prostheses, including First Lady Betty Ford, who had a mastectomy shortly after her husband took office. Mm. And the company is still around, and they specialize in post-mastectomy and fashion forms and accessories. Oh, wow. That's great. I had no idea. Hmm. Question five. In 1903, Mary Elizabeth Anderson was awarded a patent for her window cleaning device, which is technically still in use today. What was Anderson's invention? Was it a squeegee? No. Oh, geez. I'm 
trying to think of what cleans a window. Is a spray bottle like a? No, that's the sign. That's also the um, baby baby sign language sign for milk. Oh, is it? So I'm immediately like, do you want me to go grab? (laughs) You're having like a Pavlovian response to my (laughs) to my hand gesture. Um, uh, A hose, like a spray bun nozzle. (laughs) You're you're squinting your eyes. Windshield wiper. Uh, was invented by a woman. Amazing. So her device consisted of a lever inside the vehicle that controlled a rubber blade on the outside of the windshield. So the lever could be operated to cause the spring-loaded arm to move back and forth across it. Mm. And a counterweight was used to ensure contact between the wiper and the window. So it could be easily removed if the, you know, after winter was over or, you Mm -hmm. know, if it it was going to be a sunny day, you could take it off. So she tried to sell the rights to her invention through a noted Canadian firm in 1905, but they rejected her application. They argued, quote, we do not consider it to be of such commercial value that is would warrant our undertaking its sale. And many could not see the value of her invention and stress the risk that the driver would be distracted by operating oh the device God. of the moving wipers. So after the patent expired in 1920 and the automobile manufacturing business grew exponentially, Windshield wipers using Anderson's design became hmm. standard equipment. In 1922, Cadillac became the first car manufacturer to adopt oh. the MIST standard. Anderson never received any money for her invention, but in 2011, she was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. Well, at least she got that. And you know what? I would argue that I was at least one quarter correct with squeegee. It's just squeegee for your car. <laughs> the same if anybody's keeping points out there lauren can have i can have two five of a point please write that down thank you very much question six betty nesmith graham worked as an executive secretary and also an artist in texas in 1956 she'd gotten so much attention from co-workers who wanted to borrow her home-brewed office product that she eventually began her own company what's the commercial name of this product which has been a lifesaver for many people who only write in ink is that a Bic? Is that the Bic pen? No, that was invented in England. Um, <clears throat> lifesaver for people who only write in ink. She was an artist. She brewed it at home. Home brewed. <laughs> <laughs> She's very good at summarizing the I know, I'm question. Just, I'm just going over all the, yeah. all the words. All the words you said. Um, Said a lot of words, Jewel. <laughs> um, is that a blotter? So no. her product was liquid paper, which we also call oh, whiteout. Oh, yeah. So Graham later said, quote, with lettering, an artist never corrects by erasing, but always paints over the error. So mm. I decided to use what artists use. I put some tempera water-based paint in a bottle and took my watercolor brush to the office and I used it to correct my mistakes. She eventually began marketing her typewriter correction fluid as Mistake Out, and the name was later changed to Liquid Paper when she began her own company. In 1979, she sold liquid paper to the Gillette Corporation for $47.5 million. Good for and her. Today, today's money, that's like more than 174 million dollars wow so she got paid good betty graham got paid and also she was the mother of musician and producer michael nesmith of the monkeys oh get out of here wow what a thing little little tidbits here and there all right question seven steve is gonna i know flip out if you don't get this one. Oh god uh, maria telke has worked on energy technologies and was a prolific inventor of practical thermal devices during the 20th century with what renewable energy source is telke's most associated 
a renewable energy source, mm-hmm. the sun light, the sunlight. <laughs> yes. Solar so, energy. Solar energy. Yes. yes. <laughs> I mean, I got it. She invented one of the first successful solar ovens, solar heating systems, and a solar water distillation system for making seawater potable. While working with wow. MIT, she designed a solar heating system for the Dover House, which was an experimental home designed to showcase the power of solar energy. It was built in 1948 and designed by architect Eleanor Raymond. So Telke's system was able to capture and store solar energy, which was then distributed by fans as needed. And her storage process relied on chemistry. She developed a process whereby solar generated energy could be stored chemically through the crystallization of a sodium sulfate solution. Telke's was widely recognized as one of the world's foremost powers in the field of solar energy and given the nickname the sun queen oh that is so righteous have you checked steve's closet lately to see if he has a shrine to the sun <laughs> to queen? the sun queen no he's got two closets in there too i'll have to go take a look <laughs> the sun queen and question eight Marie Van Britten Brown, a black nurse and innovator who lived in Queens, New York, was married to an electrician. Inspired by their non-standard work schedules and rising neighborhood crime rates, Brown patented the forerunner to what in 1966? Um. Oh, um, the um, the motion light, motion sensor light. You're on the right path. Okay. Um, like a, a, a house alarm system? Yeah. Home okay. security system. Oh, okay. Yes. Great. So Marie started her invention by creating three peepholes in the door to provide access for tall and average height people, along with her children, to look outside. Very clever. Um, she set up a camera that could adjust from peephole to peephole, allowing people inside the house to look outside to see who was there. And she decided a wireless television system would work best. So to do this, she used a radio-controlled wireless system that could stream the video to any television in the house. Oh, wow. And along with the video system, Marie and her husband created a two-way microphone system that would allow for communication between the family and the person at the door. So the New York Times ran an article about her invention on December 6, 1969, titled Audio Viewer Screens Callers. And in it, the author writes about this invention and says, Mm -hmm. Mrs. Brown pointed out the other day that it takes considerable time to dial the police and get action in an emergency. With the patented system, a woman alone in the house could alarm the neighborhood immediately by pressing a button. That's genius. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. Question nine. They say necessity is the mother of all inventions. Marion Donovan designed a product called the Boater made of nylon parachute cloth for which she sold the rights for $1 million in 1951. What sort of innovation was this? The Boater. Well, there is such thing as a hat called a Boater, but that's not it because that was that was around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, made out of parachute nylon, you said? Mm-hmm. Is it like a jacket, like a windbreaker? It is not, okay. but it might be like a clothing. You could consider it a clothing article oh of boy. some sort. Okay. Um, Necessity is the mother of all inventions. Okay. Well, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything to me in the moment. <laughs> um, is it a like a one of those baby sling things where you wrap a baby mm, on your body interesting that's not that's not that that's either. not it okay no. well what is it <laughs> a waterproof diaper cover oh pff, so I'm gonna know but, that. <laughs> but okay this yeah. is important no sure so prompted by the frustrating and repetitive task of changing her daughter's soiled cloth diapers mm. clothing and bed sheets 
Donovan crafted a diaper cover to keep her baby in the surrounding areas dry. So unlike other products on the market, her product was made of cloth that allowed the skin to breathe and also included snap mm. fasteners instead of safety pins. So the boater, as she called it, was rejected by the manufacturer she approached. So she made and marketed the product herself. And after receiving her patent in 1951, she sold the rights to Kiko Corporation that same year. Um, and then she went on to kind of make some improvements in the diaper market too that would eventually lead to disposable diapers nice which i can't imagine why women to this day still use cloth diapers i mean bless you if you do but that seems very messy bless you if you do like a lot but yeah you if you have a cloth diaper you tend to put like a sort of cover over it anyway oh sure to keep yeah leaks what's the word i'm looking for blowouts that's the word that I don't know. That's what my mom friends say. That's what they call it. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Finally, question 10. In 2020, the National Inventors Hall of Fame welcomed inductees Lisa Lindell, theater costume designer Polly Smith, and her assistant Hinda Schreiber. These three women co-developed what revolutionary garment in 1977, which has enabled women's participation in athletic endeavors? Is it the sports bra? It is the sports bra. Yeah, hell yeah. It was uh, the jog bra was Ooh. the name of it. So while in grad school in Vermont, uh, Lisa Lindahl and her friend Polly Smith were inspired to come up with a better alternative for wearing a normal bra while exercising. Sure. And after several prototypes, um, Smith actually sewed two jock straps together and <gasps> Lindell tested it on a run. That's clever. And this became the first workable sports bra prototype, which they nicknamed a jock bra. So <laughs> patented in 1979, the athletic brassiere was commercialized as the jog bra featuring a seamless compressing front panel, non-chafing exterior seams, crossing elastic straps, and a wide elastic ribband for support. The sports bra has had an immeasurable cumulative impact in the lives of ordinary women runners world magazine reported without a garment designed to support our bodies properly millions of women would never have taken up running Mm. so one of their original jog bras is bronzed and on display near the costume shop of the theater there at the university of vermont that's awesome and two others are housed by prestigious institutions one at the smithsonian and the other at the new york metropolitan museum of art oh that's great that's wonderful that's cool what a great quiz Thank you, Julia. Great job, Lauren. I learned so much today. It's so nice to be learning things again yeah. from each other right. and from the wider world. You know, I just turned my brain off for three and a half months and <laughs> this just feels good. Yeah. Feels good to learn. Thank you. Um, so thanks so much for listening, you guys. Yeah. Uh, thanks for thanks for keeping us subscribed on your podcast yeah. application. Sure. Uh, in the meantime. And to, to hear that we came back. Yeah. Because we're, oh yeah, we're coming back. We would never let you down. Um, <laughs> we won't give you up. No. Never going to let you down. Never going to run around and desert, desert you. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't think we would rickroll our audience like this on the first we're episode of season cry. two, but here we go. Um, so thanks so much, everybody. And we will catch you in two in weeks. weeks. All right. Adios. Bye.